Please open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. As these words are written, it is approximately a little more than halfway between the time when God established His covenant with the children of Israel and Jesus will come. And this morning, this will be for you the second of three sermons that will focus on these four verses, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Uh, the first was uh, magnificently uh, preached by Dr. Stoddard about a month ago. Uh, the second one will be today, and uh, a third sermon, at least a third sermon, um, will be on these four verses in a couple of more weeks. But let me just read for you these four verses. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made 800 years before with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more." Look at the um, latter half of the 32nd verse. It is this statement that will be my focus this morning. The Lord says, my covenant, that covenant that I made with the children of Israel 800 years before, my covenant they broke though I was their husband, declares the Lord." Let's pray together. Father, as we now give attention to Your Word, illuminate for us uh, its importance, its significance. By Your grace, by the work of Your Holy Spirit, uh, I pray that You would open our eyes and unstop our ears, that You would Give us hearts to believe and minds to understand and wills that are eager to obey. And we pray it in Christ's name, amen. There are um, many things, many things that I love about my wife. I love how she cares for our family and ministers to the needs of others. I, I love how she runs our household and is careful with our money. I love the way that she treats me with patience and understanding. 
and tenderness. But do I love her? I love being married to her. I love many things about her. But do I love her? You see, my Lord and King, my Lord and King commands me to love her as he loves the church, his people, whom he refers to as his bride. And when I compare his love for me as a part of his church, when I compare his love for me to my love for Linda, I'm I'm humbled and I'm often humiliated. I mean, for the sake of his people, for the sake of all of us who by grace through faith have him, embrace him as our Savior and our Lord, I mean, for our sake, for you and me, he, uh, the Creator, uh, the Lord and the King. For, for you and me, he willingly laid aside his divine and royal prerogatives to become, to become not just a man, to become a lowly servant. I mean, freely, I mean, freely, he, he, he took off his spotless robes to put on the tattered and filthy rags of my sin, to, to suffer in our place the just consequences of his own justice. For us, for us he hung like an evil serpent upon a cross, suffering the the physical torture of crucifixion and, and the unimaginable horror of being, being forsaken for a time by his Father. Just unimaginable. And now, now having given us this example, now he, my King, he commands me to love my bride as he loved his people, as he loved his church. And so again I ask, do I love her? Well, of course I do. Yes, relax, I do. But I also, I also shudder to think of how many times I've failed to love her as my king commands. Well, if I have failed to love her as my king commands, my king says, this is how you shall love your wife. If I have failed to love her as my king commands, then how can I claim to love her? Well, in part, because because I know I love her, because when, when I realize 
my failure to love her as I should, my heart aches. And, and furthermore, I know I love her because by God's grace, there have been countless times when I have confessed to her and confessed to my king my sin, asked her, asked his forgiveness. And I assure you, most astonishing of all, more, more than I know, both she and my king have forgiven me more times than I care to think about when I've failed to ask forgiveness for an unloving word or an unloving act. Just keeping all of that in mind for a little bit, look, look at this passage here in Jeremiah 31, 32. The Lord says about the covenant people of Jeremiah's day, it's around the year 600 B.C., 600 years or so before the birth of Christ. The Lord says about those people, they broke my covenant. My covenant, they've broken. Now, now, who broke the Lord's covenant? Look at the end of verse 32. Who broke the Lord's covenant? The very people to whom the Lord says, I was their husband. And they broke my covenant. And he wasn't just any husband. He was the most loving and patient and kind and, and, and generous of husbands. I was their husband. Look, to turn back to Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Just, just look back there very quickly. Because in this passage, in these two verses, the Lord speaks of Himself as both a father and a husband. And, and listen what he says, Jeremiah 3, verses 19 and 20. First, as the Lord often does, he, he speaks in a way that we can understand. Here he speaks like a human father, and he speaks like a human father talking about his hopes and dreams for his children. And this is what he said. He said, how I would have set you, he says to, to these people, he says, I would have set you among my sons. I, I would give you a most pleasant land. I, I would give you a heritage more beautiful of all nations. And I thought you'd call me my father and would not turn from following me. Then look down at verse 20. Look at the next verse. Here he returns to the marriage motif. And this is what he says. Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so you have been treacherous to me. I mean, these are, these are pictures we can understand. I mean, like rebellious children, they've turned away from him, the most loving of fathers. Like a treacherous wife, they've left him, the most loving of husbands. Which is why, now going back to Jeremiah 31, 32, which is why he says to them, he says about them, they broke my covenant. <laughs> so, so, 
at least for a moment, we have at least a partial answer to the question of how did these people break covenant with the Lord? That's, that's an important question, how? But I want to suggest to you a far more important question is, why did they do that? Why would they do that? For them, the most loving of fathers, for them, the most loving of husbands, and they rebel against him, they turn away from him, and they desert him. Why would they do that? Now, I mean, obviously, you can read the prophets. I'm not going to rehearse these things. You can read the prophets. The prophets will tell you how they have broken his commandments over and over and over again. But that's what should give us pause. Surely it's not because they have broken his commandments over and over and over again that they've also broken covenant with him. I I hope not. And you hope not. Because, Because I've broken his commandments over and over and over again. So have you. Because we have broken his commandments, does that mean we have broken his covenant? I don't know. No, 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 no. It's much more serious than that. Breaking his commandments is is incredibly a terrible, it's just just an incredibly terrible thing to do. I mean, breaking his commandments, that, that should grieve us. But by breaking his commandments, we have not necessarily broken his covenant. I mean, think about the Old Testament covenant people. Lord gave them his commandments. He gave them his laws. What, were part of the, what was part of that law? What was an important part of that law? An important part of that law was the law of sacrifices. I mean, the Lord knew that these people were going to break his commandments. He knows that we're going to break his commandments. He gave them mercifully, graciously. He gives them the laws of sacrifice. He provided for them these these sacrifices so so that their sins could be atoned for and so they could be restored to fellowship with the Lord. So, read the Old Testament. So, are we to assume that that having broken his commandments, their sins are atoned for, their sins are forgiven because they shed the blood of bulls, of lambs, and of goats? Of course not. And the Scripture says, of course not. Those Old Testament sacrifices were effectual because they anticipated the day when the final and perfect sacrifice would be offered up, which is what John the Baptist knew when he looks at Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. For them, for you and me, Jesus 
Jesus has shed his blood, and it's by his shed blood that they, offering up those Old Testament sacrifices in anticipation of that final and perfect sacrifice, it's because of that final and perfect sacrifice, it is because of Jesus, it's because of his shed blood that they, as well as you and me, we are forgiven, we are forgiven of all our transgressions, past, present, and future, because he assures us. He tells us, if you say you were without sin, then you're calling me a liar. Because he assures us, if you will confess, if you will repent, that is, if you will turn again to me, I'll forgive. I'll forgive your sins. I'll cleanse away all of your unrighteousness. Which, by the way, is precisely what we frequently hear the Old Testament saints doing. Don't make this radical distinction between them and us. Don't do that. We're all saved upon the same ground, and that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at Calvary. And what do we hear Old Testament saints doing, frequently hear them doing? We hear them confessing their sins. We hear them turning once more to the Lord. We hear them rejoicing to know the Lord's forgiveness. I mean, for example, in Psalm 51, Psalm 51, we hear David, we see David. David who has horribly sinned. I don't even want to rehearse those sins this morning. But David has horribly sinned. And what do we hear? We hear him coming before the Lord, confessing and repenting of his sin. And he's not, you know, it's not, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That's not what it says. It says that he comes before him with a broken heart. He comes before him with deep remorse. He comes to him in Psalm 51. He comes before God crying out, oh, Lord, create in me a clean heart. He comes to the Lord. He comes before God crying out, oh, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's confession. That's repentance. That's looking to the Lord for cleansing and renewal. And then what happens? Then we come to Psalm 32, and we listen. We listen as David is speaking with his Lord and King, and what does David say? This is what he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity, the wickedness, the ugliness of my sins. We all break his commandments. I mean, I'm making, that's not anything to make light of, but if we don't deal honestly with what the Scripture's teaching us, then we, we kind of build up this, this false standard 
you know, we're not in covenant relationship with the Lord because we are perfect people. We are not perfect people. We all break His commandments. If breaking His commandments irreparably separate us, separated us from the Lord, if breaking His commandments irreparably separated us from the Lord, then we are all without hope. Then we have all broken His covenant. Then we all stand eternally condemned. So what's going on here in Jeremiah 31, 32, when the Lord says about these people, not simply they have broken my commandments, He says they have broken my covenant. Turn back to Deuteronomy 6. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's go back 800 years before Jeremiah's day. Here in Deuteronomy, well, Moses here, he is speaking to the children of Israel one last time. He's soon going to die, and his place of leadership will be taken by Joshua, who will then lead the children of Israel into the promised land. But just right there in Deuteronomy 6, just real quickly, in Deuteronomy 5, Moses rehearses for them, rehearses for these people which, by the way, is a whole new generation. Remember the generation 20 years of older, 20 years of age and older who left Egypt after 40 years of wandering the wilderness, all of them except Joshua and Caleb have died. So now speaking to this new generation in Deuteronomy 5, Moses rehearses for them the Ten Commandments. He rehearses for them God's covenant law. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 3, he, he speaks of the blessings that will be theirs if they, if they keep their, their king's commands. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 7 through 9, he will call upon the people to, to teach to their children the king's commands. But now look at verses 4 and 5. All of the, these verses all surrounded by this emphasis upon the law and upon the keeping of the Lord's commandments. Look at verses 4 and 5. And I know Scripture didn't give us any stage directions, but I just can't help imagining the incredible emotion in Moses' voice as he says to these people, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall what? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And that has everything to do with wanting to keep His commandments. Look at Deuteronomy 11 verse 1. Deuteronomy 11, verse 1. Deuteronomy 11, verse 1, Moses tells them, look at the order. Moses tells them, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep His charge, His statutes, His rules, and His commandments always. Yes, they are. Of course they are to keep His commandments. We are to keep His commandments. But the reason they will keep His commandments, the motivation that will swell up within them for the keeping of His commandments is not because we have to. It will be because 
They love him with all of their heart and soul and strength and mind. Love me. Keep my commandments. I think I heard Jesus say that. If you love me, Jesus said, you'll what? You'll keep my commandments if you love me. And for me, for me here, for me here, here is the answer. Here is for me what I believe to be just an incredibly important truth. Here for me is the answer to not only how, but why they broke their king's commandments. And by doing so, broke covenant with him. Why? Because instead of loving him with all of their heart, soul, strength, and mind, they chose to love themselves first and foremost. Instead of lovingly, willingly, gladly acknowledging him as their king, as their loving and, and gentle and, and good king, they chose to be their own king. And therefore they broke his commandments, as we will all do. And as we do. And as we do most often because whether we're thinking about it or not, at that moment, we love ourselves, first and foremost. At that moment, we choose to follow the, the foolish imaginations of our own minds. At that moment, we choose to live as we think best, to live as we please. But for them, it wasn't just a moment. For them, it became a lifetime. And for them, it became a pattern that just accelerated year after year after year. Jesus taught. Remember that Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches you can't serve two masters. If you just allow me to paraphrase that a little bit, you can't serve two kings. You can't serve two kings. Inevitably, you're going to grow to hate the one and love the other, Jesus said. Inevitably, you're going to be devoted to the one and you're going to despise the other. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve the Lord and yourself. Instead of loving the Lord, instead of being devoted to Him, inevitably you will choose to love yourself and to be devoted to your own autonomous ideas. Autonomous ideas. Autonomous. A law unto itself. A law unto yourself. You will become your own lawmaker and you will be proud of how wise and discerning you are, of how much you really understand the realities of the world in which we live, on how you've just come to realize that, that there's a lot of good things in the Scripture, but some of that stuff just, it's just over the top. I mean, it's just, you will come 
to love the one, to hate the other. You will come to despise. You will come to be devoted to the one and despise the other. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Jesus has a way of just putting it all together. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. You're not for me, you're against me. The people of Jeremiah's day broke their king's covenant because they loved themselves first and foremost. Oh, they wanted a little, they wanted a little, you know, a little sprinkling of religion here and there. You know, they wanted to take pride in this glorious temple in the midst of the city of Jerusalem. You know, they wanted to, uh, they wanted to rehearse the wonders of their, of their history and uh, the wonders of the patriarchs and so forth and so. But the truth is, they came to the place where they love themselves far beyond loving the king. And that, that's, that's too easy. Jesus said, you love this king, you're going to hate this king. If you're devoted to this king, you're going to despise this king. So obviously the only question is, who's king? Who's the king? John 21, verses 15 through 17. Jesus asks Peter the same question three times. I mean, just a few weeks before Peter had denied you know, Jesus was on trial for his life, and three times Peter was approached and said, aren't you one of his disciples, or aren't you one, aren't you a Galilee, aren't you one of his? And three times Jesus said, Peter said, no, no, I don't even know the man. Three times. Now, here's Peter and John. They're back together. It's beside the Sea of Galilee. It's probably close to the end of the 40 days after our Lord's resurrection. They've had some breakfast, and now Jesus turns to Peter, and what do you expect him to say to Peter? I mean, I can imagine what I would say. Okay, boy, uh, you ready to shape up? You ready to do what you're supposed to do? Are you ready to try to get this thing right? I mean, you going to apologize to me or what? Don't you have something to tell me, Peter? I mean, you write your own script. Three times. This is the question that Jesus asks Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? 
Let me suggest to you, my dear friends, that's the bottom line. Chris and I were speaking several weeks ago now. I don't remember. Where is Chris? I don't remember it was. Several weeks ago. Um, and as our conversation continued, we came more and more to the point of saying, you know, the bottom line is, do we love Him? Do we, everything else flows from that. If you don't love Him, then it becomes religion with rules and regulations that you have to follow if you're going to be good little boys and girls. That's not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, not because you have to, but because you want to, because you desire to. That's the bottom line. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus saying to you, do you love me? I mean, do you? I mean, just think about it. If you love someone, then thoughts of them fill your mind. If you love someone, you're always willing to talk about them. If you love someone, then you want to be with them. If you love someone, then you're eager to please them. If those things aren't true, you don't love them. You might be infatuated. You might be motivated by lust, but you don't love them. Having never met Linda, my dad wondered if my description of her was just far too good to be true. Then he met her. And after I took her back home, 110-mile drive, 110 miles back, when I got back home, having met her, he took me aside, and in his indomitable style, he said to me, and I quote, son, if you don't marry that woman, you're an idiot. <laughs> I think I know what that meant. Listen, if you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, you don't need me to, to to answer for you the question, do you love him? If you know him, you're going to love him. If you're unsure about whether you love him, it's only because you don't know him. Or there's still, like my father, there's still far more about him that you need to learn. I mean, how do I convince you to love him? I, I don't think I can do that. I mean, if you don't know him, if you don't know the one by whom and for whom you were made, if you don't know the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, if you don't know the deliverer from the darkness that shrouds the human soul, if you don't know the judge who willingly suffers in our place the penalty of his own justice, if you don't know the friend who sticks closer than a brother, if you don't know the most loving of fathers, if you don't know the most loving of husbands, if you don't know the parent who adopts people like you and me to be part of the royal family, 
If you don't know the guide who teaches and empowers his people to live the best of all possible lives, if you don't know the provider of all his people's needs, if you don't know the comforter in pain and sorrow, if you don't know the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if you don't know the one who will come again, who will turn all things right side up, and who will welcome his people into his eternal kingdom, if you don't know Jesus then you may, may be like my father who hadn't yet met Linda. You may think, you may be a little skeptical about that list that I just gave you. You may be a little skeptical about why you should love him. And so for you I pray. because only the Holy Spirit can change your heart. I pray that he will graciously give to you a, a passionate and abiding love for him because I assure you, I mean, I know here again, you can just go sure, 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 but on the authority of God's holy word, I assure you that when you come to believe and know and realize who he is, and that he first loved you. And when you come to, you just, just begin to understand and realize what it cost him to love you, you'll fall in love with him. And then as that love grows and as that love deepens, you're going to find it to be a love more wonderful than anything you could now possibly imagine. If you don't know him, if you don't love him now, you cannot possibly imagine how wonderful it is to know he loves me and I love him. I love him. Loving him, I assure you, on the authority of God's word, loving him, you will soon discover that keeping his commandments is not burdensome, but in truth, it is a delight. Let's pray. Father, teach us these amazing truths. Father, thank you for your patience with us that we break your commandments and we come to you and we confess and repent and you forgive and you wipe away all unrighteousness and you restore to us once more